Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love, and over the past 20 years, Pastor JD has tackled lots of difficult questions from the pulpit that we then later cover on the show as well. Um, we have we have questions that we're processing through, and we realize, oh man, Pastor JD's taught about this before, and so we wanted to share some of that original teaching with you here um, as a way to answer some of the difficult questions that many of you are asking. So today, Pastor JD is going to answer the question, why is church discipline the loving thing to do? Here's the four reasons why Paul says that we need to do this. Four reasons the church must remove a willfully sinning member from its midst. Number one, he says, is for the sake of the sinning brother. For the sake of the sinning brother, he says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The hope The goal is always that they wake up from their sin, that the pain of being removed from the blessings of the church wakes them up and brings them back to their senses. The goal is never punishment or exclusion. The goal is always healing and restoration. That's number one. Number two, he says, you do it for the sake of other believers. That's verse six. Do you not know? Do you not know that a a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Now, leaven is not a common word for us. In fact, many of you are like, I have no idea what leaven is. The word that we use for leaven in our culture is yeast. You may not know this, and this might ruin your bread-eating experience, but yeast is a type of fungus that makes bread rise. It grows and multiplies really quickly, which is why if you've ever had a little bread maker, you know, you got to start with a little yeast thing. And sometimes if you don't have it, you can borrow some from somebody else and just put a little bit of it in it. And soon it spreads to the whole batch of dough so that the whole loaf is going to be filled with yeast. The Bible uses that as a picture of sin. Just like a little yeast quickly spreads to the whole lump of dough, little sin in the community, a little, a little, a little um, uh, willful sin of the community is quickly going to infect everybody. And so at the Passover, God had them that night take out all the yeast from their houses and put it outside the house and eat only unleavened bread. That was a symbol that they were leaving the sin of Egypt behind, that they should not keep any of it in their houses. Another analogy that might relate even better to us would be cancer cells. Just a few cancer cells, if left unchecked, will soon multiply and destroy the whole body. Right? That, that, that's where it's going. It might be localized for a time. And if you can get it when it's localized and cut it out, things will probably be okay. But you let that thing go unchecked, it's gonna multiply and it's gonna destroy the entire body and kill the whole thing. And the same way Paul says, open rebellious sin by those who with their mouths say they belong to Jesus will soon affect and corrupt and destroy the whole church. For the, so for the sake of the church, he said, you gotta get it outside the house. Now, maybe you're still sitting there and you're, you're, you're thinking of this. I just, you're like, I, I'm having trouble thinking of this as consistent with love. Well, let, let me switch the analogy. Maybe this will help. I know of families, and you probably do too. Um, I know of a, a family where an older sibling returns home from college and they start to live at home again post-college and they start to make some really bad choices dabbling with drugs. And that means that makes them start to bring around the house all kinds of really questionable people even stealing things from the house. The parents, of course, are brokenhearted. This is their son, but they're not just worried about him. They're also worried about the safety of the younger siblings, and they're worried about what the younger siblings are seeing. And so they have loving conversation after conversation through tears, 
asking their son to change, asking their son to just abide by things that are safe and healthy in the family, but the son persists in doing things that keep putting the family in danger. And so finally, the mom and dad, in love, brokenhearted, asked their adult son to leave and live somewhere else. It's not because they hate their son or, or have given up on their son. They just know that they need to protect their other kids. Plus, plus, they know that life on the street is hard. And maybe, maybe if they remove that protective covering, maybe if they quit always giving him such a soft place to land so that he never experiences the, the painful results of the decisions he is making, maybe then he'll wake up to the foolishness of his choices. Now, parents, you get that, right? That's not unloving. In fact, sometimes continuing to house and protect this person would literally be the most unloving thing that you could do for them. You are enabling them. In love, you unhouse them so that they can experience some of the consequences of their sin. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 5. So Paul says, first, you do it for the sake of the sinning brother. You also do it for the sake of other believers. Third, he says, you do it for the sake of Christ himself. For Christ, you see, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for sin. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, which he was crucified for, the leaven of malice and evil, but we got to celebrate it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ died, Paul says. He was tortured. He had his body ripped apart to get rid of sin. So why would his bride, why would his church, why would his family tolerate in their midst people who say they love him, but whose lives are filled willfully with things that put him on the cross? Paul says that when believers, when they come together to worship, they should rid themselves of the leaven of sin. And in another place, the way he says it is this, 1 Timothy, you should lift up holy hands in worship. That means you are seeking as much as you are able to offer worship to Jesus that is not mixed and polluted with the leaven of sin. Now, two things that does not mean. I wrote, this is the message of a thousand qualifications, okay? But here's the first one. That doesn't mean, again, that unbelievers cannot come to worship. Again, they can and they should. We should invite them in. They should just not be counted as family. An honored guest in the house is honored, but it's not the same thing as a member of the household. Second, it doesn't mean that if your life has a lot of problems that you shouldn't worship Jesus. Oh, no, by all means. Jesus welcomes people with all kinds of problems and brokenness into his house. He's invited the sick and the lame to come to him. He said, that's who's around my table. He said, it's the healthy. They don't even need a doctor. It's those that are broken, those that are sick. They're the ones that need a physician. The only question for you is not how bad your life is messed up. The only question is if you, is if you come in in a posture of repentance and brokenness towards your sin, or if you're in a spirit of defiance about it. Jesus told a story one time about a guy whom God was most pleased with in a worship service. And scandalously, Jesus identified it as a tax collector, again, the worst of all the sinners, whose life was riddled with problems and mistakes, but, but the man was in a posture of repentance, brokenness over his sin, admitting that he needed help. Jesus said, I'd much rather have that than somebody whose life is all together and doesn't realize how much he needs the help of God. So by all men's friends, listen, bring him your problems, right? Come in sick, come in broken and, and wounded, but you should not lift up your hands and worship to him if your life is willfully raising its fist in defiance of him, right? I and mean, that just makes sense. That would be inauthentic. It would be hypocritical. Come in with your brokenness. But you have to come in with a posture of, I know that you are Lord and you are right. 
right? So he says, do it for the sake of Christ. Number four, he said, you got to do it for the sake of the outside world. You got to do it for the sake of the outside world. Paul says these steps are important because we need to give the outside world an accurate picture of Jesus. Most of our world, most of our community will never read the Bible, but they will read the lives of Christians. And so we have to present Christ to them accurately because you probably heard this, you and I are the only Bible they'll ever read. My favorite um, superhero growing up was the Invisible Man. I know, I know, surprising. Superman was cool and everything with the ability to fly, Spider-Man, walk on walls, that was awesome. Batman with the car, of course. But I thought that the Invisible Man was way underrated as a superhero. He's the Nicolas Cage of superheroes. I mean, right? I mean, just imagine as a kid how awesome your life would be if you could just disappear, be invisible anytime you wanted. If you've ever watched those old cartoons of the Invisible Man, the only way that you could catch the Invisible Man was to throw something on it. And so if you dumped like a bucket of paint on the Invisible Man, for example, then you could see his shape. The church, Paul is saying, is to be like the paint that is poured over the invisible to Christ to show his shape, to show the world what he actually looks like. That means that they are, watch this, they are to learn how glorious Jesus is by how passionately we worship him. Y'all, I think about that when I'm worshiping. I I don't worship as a performance for anybody, but I also know that the passion with, with, with which I worship Jesus is supposed to put his value on display. And no offense to you, but I don't really feel like you put much of his value on display when you've got your hands in your pocket and a bored look on your face. Because I'm wondering, what do people look at me and what do they think about the worth of the Savior that I'm worshiping when my worship is so tired and lethargic? They are to learn how loving he is by how we love each other. They are to learn how seriously he takes sin by how seriously we take it. So Paul says, for the sake of the outside world, for the sake of the outside world, we take sin seriously so that they get the right and the actual picture of Jesus. So y'all, that's four reasons, four motivations to go through all the pain and all the hassle of this process. Well, there you have it. I hope you were encouraged by this biblical teaching on the question of church discipline. Um, And as always, you can find more teaching from Pastor JD at his website, jdgreer.com. Um, There's so many articles, there's audio broadcasts, there's video teaching, and of course, you can find all of the episodes of Ask Me Anything that we've done. So thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you next time here on Ask Me Anything um, when we are going to answer a listener question straight from one of you.